Good morning and thanks for watching. I'm so excited that you've decided to tune in. We are continuing on in our series on living in the victory of the cross and I'm really excited to jump into that. But before we do, I, I do want to bring you up to speed on some news. Uh, today is my final day preaching to you uh, as I am going on a 10-week parental leave starting on May 23rd and I'll be returning. Uh, my final day of parental leave is uh, the first day of August. I'm so excited to have this time with Poppy and Rachel. We're going to hopefully uh, introduce Poppy to some of my family. And so I'm going to ask, would you be praying that we can kind of make this work? Right now, Newfoundland is locked down and they're not letting kind of anybody in. Uh, and so we're hoping somehow and by God's grace and to, to safely kind of uh, introduce Poppy to my parents and also hopefully my brother and my sister-in-law. And so we're excited for this time. I ask you to pray for us as we just get to enjoy this special gift of time really to spend some time together. And so that's 10 weeks beginning on the 23rd of May. And so that makes this kind of my final Sunday for a little bit. And so... Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about the victory of the cross and living in that victory. And uh, as I was uh, thinking about this, I thought about how, uh, you know, growing up in high school, I wasn't like no sort of superior athlete. And especially growing up in small town Newfoundland, there's not a whole lot of opportunities uh, to, to grow in, in the world of athletics. Um, in high school, I was the manager of the high school basketball team, which was just a nicer way of saying the water boy. Uh, but several years ago, I found a sport uh, called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, that sounds kind of like, you know, people just think it's like karate or taekwondo or kung fu. But ultimately, it's like wrestling uh, to the point where you make your opponent quit. Uh, and so it, it's really difficult. It's really hard. Um, I got my, you know, I just got beat up a lot. And so, uh, but I'll never forget getting ready for my first tournament. I had only been doing this sport for a couple months. And er, when, when you're preparing for a tournament, everything that you do is kind of through the filter of preparing for the tournament. And so my, believe it or not, it's the one thing that actually could help me eat healthy. It was like, you know, I would, uh, making sure I was cutting weight to get down to the, to the, to the champion, the, the, the competition weight and uh, you know you're, you're training you're focusing I mean I could sleep and I'd have dreams about competing and I remember I you pay money to do this it's like a hundred bucks to join this tournament and it's like one loss and you're out and so there's a lot of pressure to get things right and I remember uh, my first match I had looked at the bracket and I knew who I was going to face and so I had all I was just visualizing it I did everything right and I had put in a lot of time in the gym in those first you know three or four months and Anyway, as I stepped into the mat, the person I thought I was going to be competing against was not that person at all, and immediately I was kind of shook. Well, the match didn't go anything like I had visualized. <laughs> it did not go anything like I trained. Um, my opponent basically demolished me for five minutes. In fact, he basically sat on top of me, and I didn't move for the entire match. It was completely humiliating. I had my wife and a friend there, some family there, and it was, uh, it was completely demoralizing. Well, two years later, I find myself at another tournament. In fact, the last tournament, I think it would have been in November of 2019. And it was right here in Milton at CK, the high school. And after two years of training now and, and, and some other tournaments and, and losses and wins, um, I, I found myself uh, winning all of my matches and getting to the championship match. And I'm just going to tell you, man, after 
just months and years of, of training, this is kind of what you look forward to to the point where you can kind of say, I did it. And I managed somehow to submit my opponent in the championship match. And some of you were there watching. It was pretty cool. And um, it, was just, it was just a really, really cool moment. And to make matters even better, uh, because of that performance, my, my, my coach actually uh, gave me a, the kind of a blue belt, a, a promotion to say, hey, you've kind of reached the next level. No longer are you kind of, you know, uh, a novice. You're, you're, you're blue. And then there's several after that. Well, I say all that because I think about how my life looked in the days and weeks after my sweet victory. I mean, I had a gold medal and I had a blue belt. I would have worn them everywhere if I had to. In fact, I know someone that once they got their final black belt, they actually did wear it out in public. There's something about when you taste sweet victory, it changes the way you walk, it changes the way you feel. There's uh, maybe a sense of pride, but there's also just a sense of accomplishment, freedom, all the work you've done is kind of behind you. I think about the fact that two years ago, from this day of when I'm recording, that it was the, the amazing buzzer beater shot by Kawhi Leonard that allowed us to move on into the playoffs. I remember in that moment, popcorn and drinks going everywhere and texts from my friends. And the weeks leading up, the weeks leading after that, it's just, there's something about sweet victory. Uh, and so I just began thinking about this. I imagined what my life would look like if I felt similar enthusiasm about the victory won for me on the cross by Jesus. And it's a sobering thought. When I ask myself, how does the victory of the cross change the way I live? And as I thought about the, t the, the sermon topic or the, the, the series, living in the victory of the cross, I thought and asked myself, am I? Am I living as someone that has had victory won for them. And I asked myself, why was it a victory? Was it actually, what was actually won? Who lost? Were there competing teams? Was it a close match? Or was it just domination? What do we mean when we talk about the victory of the cross? And you know, we know that on the cross, many things were accomplished. And just to name a few, we talk about reconciliation. The fact that, you know, our relationship with God was made right. We're given new life. We're forgiven. We became sons and daughters through adoption. We were able to be seated in heavenly places. And, and healing, actually, because of his, his wounds and the, and the work on the cross was, was made available to us. We can be healed. And we think about the removal of God's wrath uh, from us, put onto the Son, that we might be forgiven. And all of these are a part of what we know to be a part of the victory of what was accomplished on the cross. However, I want to kind of talk about two main areas today about where the Bible talks about there being victory or triumph when it talks about the cross. And the first is over victory over rulers and authorities, and the second is over death. So we're going to talk about victory over rulers and authorities, and we're going to talk about um, also how there was victory over death. In Colossians 2, it says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them open to open shame by triumphing over them. 
the author writing to the church has explained to them, look, the, the debt that was once on your account has now been forgiven. It's been canceled. It's been taken care of because your sin was paid for. The, the legal demands of the law no longer apply to you because now there is actually a new law that Christ has written in your hearts. And it says that Jesus, I love the language here, disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame. The rulers and authorities. What rulers and authorities do you think he's talking about here? You know, when I first read this, I, I just assumed for a moment that maybe he was talking about the rulers and authorities of that day. But however, if you think about it, the rulers and authorities of that day probably thought they won. <laughs> they probably thought they did what was right. They, they crucified this man and, and did what the people wanted. However, many times in Scripture, especially when you look at Paul, any times he talks about rulers and authorities, he's talking about spiritual powers, the devil and his demons. You know, growing up, I did not have a proper understanding of rulers and authorities. And partly because I grew up in a kind of a super spiritual, big emphasis on, you know, angels and demons and the end times, I didn't have a proper understanding about rulers and authorities and what it means to live in the authority of the cross, live in the victory of the cross, rather. You know, while the devil and his demons are real and we, we, we still see their, their input and their participation in this world, we do not have any sort of, uh, we are not under their authority or of accusations or condemnation in any way. We know that the devil is known as this, what, the accuser of the brethren. I mean, his whole goal is to do the opposite of what the Holy Spirit does, really. I mean, the Holy Spirit continually testifies that we're children of God, that we're heirs, and that we can call God Abba, our Father. The, the enemy, Satan, does the opposite, where he is continually bringing charges and condemnation against you. And, and what we see here is this, that Jesus disarmed the enemy. He disarmed rulers and authorities. A mentor once told me is that Satan is the only person that will tempt you to do something, and then he will guilt trip you for doing it. And I thought that's so true. But it says Jesus disarmed them, took their power away from them, kind of took their, their weapons away from them. They don't come to a gunfight with a gun. They don't come to a gunfight with a knife even. They don't even come to a gunfight with a pool noodle. They come disarmed. They have nothing to bring to the table in their accusations against you. They can't condemn you. They won't guilt you because your guilt and sin and shame has been paid for. The victory has been won. And that changes how we live when we think about it. I love how the writer continues and he says this. He says Jesus, he, said, he doesn't say Jesus disarmed Satan and his demons, but he disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I love this. It sounds kind of like my, my, my first jiu-jitsu tournament, right? Just completely annihilated. He didn't just do it quietly. He, he put them to open shame. And the, the word here, open shame, is the same word where we see in, the, in some of the Gospels where it talks about what Joseph refused to do when he found out his teenage um, fiance, his teenage girlfriend Mary, was, was pregnant. It says Joseph refused to kind of put her out into shame, kind of refused to let people attack her. Uh, Jesus does the opposite to Satan and the enemies. Jesus does the opposite. He says, actually, he disarmed them and put them out to shame. Uh, and, and he did this by triumphing over them on the cross. And so in that moment, yes, as Jesus took on our shame and our pain and our guilt, 
And the enemy probably thought he was victorious. But it's funny, there's a paradox going on here by what the enemy thought was evil was actually something great. And in a moment when they probably were proud and prideful saying we had defeated him, only a few days later, Jesus rose again. And so I want you to imagine Mary walking around that culture at the time, you know, she's, she's, she's pregnant, she's not married, and so there's disgrace going to be put upon her. It says Joseph refused to put her out into that environment. Well, the Bible says that Jesus actually took the Satan, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame. He's like, you know what? You guys are just going to be disgraced by what's going on here. He made a mockery of them. Have you ever seen those people, and I'll, I'll have a photo here for you guys to, to look at, those people who maybe were caught stealing at Walmart or a store, and for some reason the judge orders for them, as a part of their charge or a conviction, to wear a sign that basically says, I'm a thief. I stole from Walmart. I mean, that is pretty ruthless. That is, that, that's a lot of shame. You know, as I began thinking about this sermon, I began thinking about how despite Christ dying and defeating our accuser, de, de, satisfying the law, removing guilt and shame and sin from our lives, sometimes it's easy as Christians to walk around like these people placed at the front of Walmart. With, with just a, a feelings of defeat and shame and, and, and just condemnation. Jesus disarmed Satan and his demons. And now we're the ones that sometimes want to walk around shamed. See, living in the victory of the cross knows that you know that shame does not have a hold on you. The, the, the demands and the legal condemnations and accusations, they don't come at you anymore. And when they do, you're found faultless because of the righteousness of Jesus that's given to you. It means there's no more condemnation towards you any longer. We see that in Romans. Satan and his minions have been defeated. They even put to shame because Jesus, what? Triumphed, triumphed over them. The imagery here is like a king doing this triumphant parade after a battle with all of his soldiers and his spoil, parading through town as people celebrate him. This is what our king has done. It was not a close match. It wasn't a tight, you know, it wasn't down to the wire. It wasn't a buzzer beater. Our savior did away with the rulers and authorities and their power and their accusations towards us forever. This is the victory. You know, I deal with students a lot. And one of the things I've noticed is that they have a hard time understanding. And understanding the fact that they're forgiven, yet still struggle with some sin. And balancing that, 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 that kind of that pendulum of knowing that they have work to do, but not sitting in their guilt. Well, I want you to be encouraged today. That Jesus has done away with the power of the rulers and authorities over your life when it comes to guilt and condemnation. There is no law that is going to cause you to be condemned before God anymore. The, the price of your sin has been paid. No longer is our sin counted against us. It's been forgiven and Christ's death on the cross did that triumphantly. He conquered it triumphantly. And thanks be to God, we know that his death on the cross wasn't it. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. See, when you live in the victory of the cross, when you live in that space, and I just think about when I, when I got that gold medal put around my neck and how, my, how just obviously there's an there's a analogy that only goes so far because that was my effort and what was done on the cross has nothing to do with my effort. But just the, the elation of having having been victorious and the freedom that comes from that, um, it, it, 
we should live as people that are not walking in shame or condemned by the, by the rulers and authorities. Don't let him shame you for what Christ has already forgiven you for. The second thing that we see Jesus had victory over is death itself. Death itself. There's this really great passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is writing to the church about resurrection. He's writing a description. He's teaching them about what we know as kind of dying and then coming back to life. And you know, we don't talk a lot about this uh, in our churches today. And mainly because, you know, there's shows about like zombies and people coming back to life. But it's important as a church that we still hold on to some of these truths about resurrection. And not just about Jesus resurrecting, but also about us one day resurrecting. I think sometimes it's easy in Christianity to kind of hold on to the things that are, make us comfortable or are not kind of strange to talk to your friends about at work, but we don't like to talk about the things that are kind of unusual. And resurrection is one of them. And so Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 15, he's explaining resurrection to this church. And I can just kind of hear them like, okay, explain to us once again what it is that you're talking about. Um, and, and so he does that. He goes on to kind of explain what it means that we're going to resurrect. And there's a couple words here I want to just define before we jump in. Uh, and that is imperishable and by imp- uh, or perishable. You know, like we talk about go, uh, donating imperishable food items to the food bank. And what we're saying is donate things that will not go bad. That's, you know, that's imperishable. Perishable are things that go bad. And so, yes, donate your craft dinner because they can last a long time. But uh, when it comes to perishable, that would be like a head of lettuce, right? Of course, you guys know that. But I just want to make sure we're going to move quickly. So I don't want to lose anyone. And so it says this. I tell you, brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50. I tell you, brothers um, and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so he's saying, look, flesh and blood things, they don't get to go with you when you die. When, uh, when, when our, our bodies as we know them right now, what we see, will not kind of be what we know. And he says, imperishable cannot inherit imperishable what's finite cannot really live within the infinite and he goes on in verse 451 behold i tell you a mystery mystery is basically just unknown knowledge we shall not all sleep we shall not all die but we shall all be changed we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed what he's saying here is that when Jesus comes back in that, that, that amazing moment that we must look forward to as a church, um, not everybody's going to be dead. Uh, and so he says the, the people who are dead are going to resurrect. They're going to be changed. But also the people that are still living, they will also have to be changed because the imperishable and perishable can't kind of uh, cohabitate. We will move from mortal to immortal. Like this is some cool stuff. In verse 53, it says this, for the perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Can we just stop for a moment and recognize, you know, we like to talk about these things, and sometimes it's easy to go, oh, okay, yeah, that, we don't really understand this, but, but let's just say this is pretty, pretty cool. And this oh, should awaken hope in your lives. And for some of you, you're thinking, am I going to get a new body? That's good news. Or maybe some of you that have worked hard on your physical fitness, you're thinking, I've worked so hard for this body. Um, but this is good news. And the good news is this, that we get to live forever. We get to live forever. It's interesting, uh, when, when this happens on that day, it will go on to fulfill really a, kind of a prophecy that we kind of see. And in verse 54, he talks a little bit about it. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when these immortal bodies puts on mortal, uh, when these mortal bodies put on immortality, uh, then shall come to pass this saying that is written, death 
is swallowed up in victory. And then it goes on to say, verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O death, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is just such a good, important point. You know, the cross not only brought us victory over sin, guilt and shame, rulers and authorities, it brought us victory over death itself. Church, this should fill your heart with promise and hope. See, death was brought into the world by sin, and, and sin is conquered, so the curse of death is, is reversed as death and sin was brought in by one man and Adam. Now, uh, grace and forgiveness and, and new life and eternal life is brought in through one man in Jesus. Death has been swallowed up. I love that imagery. I just, for some reason, I think about when I lived in Newfoundland and we would be out in boat. And you would see these giant whales kind of come up and swallow kind of as they're feeding on a small fish we used to call capelin. And you would just kind of sometimes, obviously, you know, at a distance, but you, sometimes you can see it on YouTube and stuff as well. You see these giant mouths of these whales just swallowing what seems to be gallons of water and fish in the process. I don't know how they do that. But I just th- also think of like quicksand and how it kind of just swallows things when, when, we, when we think about death, we see it being swallowed up. There's no match. It's, it's gone. It's been defeated. And that's why Paul quotes Hosea when he says, death, where is your victory? Where's your sting? It's like saying, who's laughing now? Like, death, you thought you had the last word, but you don't. Where's your sting? There's no sting in death. The pain and loss we experience in death is only temporary as we know we will see them again if they put their faith in Jesus. That they will not stay dead. And so Christians, we really have a unique posture when it comes to death because we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and that one day we will be with the ones we love in heaven. But I want to talk about this because we talk about death not having a sting. But if we were to be honest, death seems to still have a little bit of sting. I mean, over the past 12 to 18 months, our church has felt the sting of death a little. Or what seems to be the sting of death. I think about Debbie Brown and Sandy Ma, Bernie Hocko, Lynn Unsworth, and many of your family members, and I may have forgotten some. We miss those people terribly. And I know for many, this sting still seems to reside a little. Well, it's interesting I'm speaking on this this week because uh, the sting of death has kind of hit our family a little closely uh, as one of Rachel's family members has passed away. And, um, and also, before I came to Milton Bible Church, I only really had one kind of staffing position at a church before, and it was at a church called Evangel Church in, in Gander, Newfoundland. And I interned under the staff there, and it was fantastic, and especially one man named Pastor Ralph Benson. And Ralph is one of those gentlemen, one of those people, you can't really put into words the impact they had on people and the community. I mean, he was the type of pastor that would walk into a, a, a house where he knew drug users were, and he would pull them out and see them kind of be made whole and live clean lives. He's the kind of guy that would... Um, he started a furniture ministry for people that uh, didn't have furniture when they would move to, to, to the area or to Canada. He used a, a portion of the property of his church property to build affordable housing for seniors because there was a need there. Ralph was one of the greatest men I've ever met. And honestly, 
Um, he was just a, a legend when it comes to the kingdom. You know, it's funny, Ralph had this saying, he would say, uh, life is precious. And he would just say that. It was kind of, he was known for it. Well, on Mother's Day, unfortunately, uh, this mentor and this hero in my life got in a tragic car accident. And in Newfoundland, many of my friends in the church, which I love, I mean, the, the church in Gander, is like a church like Milton Bible Church, where like, you can leave, but you never really leave. Like, it's almost like a, a family outside of your family. And the church in Gander right now is without their lead pastor. And the, the whole denomination in, in, in Newfoundland has a whole prayer gathering because Ralph was just an integral part of the community and, and, and many, many young pastors' lives. And so today, as I was getting ready and preparing this, I, you know, I said to God, like, I know that death has no sting, but why does it still hurt? Why does it still hurt? See, I've come to realize that you can experience both grief and hope simultaneously. I think sometimes in Christian circles we can talk about how, you know, how sometimes grief, you can feel guilty for feeling grief, grief and, and feeling kind of guilty for, for mourning people's loss when we believe in heaven and that we'll see them again. And I just want to encourage you that if you're in the middle of grief right now um, and you know that the person you love is in heaven celebrating with Jesus, um, you still have some space to grieve and to mourn and miss them. And I think that's very normal. And at the same time, you can hold on to the hope that death has been defeated that you will meet them again. And I know I'm holding on that truth for the people I love. See, Jesus' victory removes the finality. It gives us hope. It soothes the sting. Why? Because we know this is not the end of the story. I love how Paul finishes off this portion of Scripture, and it's what I'll leave you with today. It says in verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so Paul has kind of outlined this whole theology about resurrection. And the fact that we will rise again. And that death has been defeated. And that Jesus is victorious. And then he says, therefore... And it's kind of like this application. Out of all, after everything I've just said, here's what I want you to do when you leave listening to this letter. I want you to be steadfast. I want you to be immovable, he says. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfast, immovable. This is only possible in, in living in the light of the victory that Jesus achieved. Where yes, we can grieve and mourn, which we know are, are normal parts of our humanity. But simultaneously, being full of hope, we can be steadfast and movable. The, the language here, it, it really is kind of like, just you are rock solid. You're, you, are, you, are, you are firm in, in, in your understanding and, and your resolve. When, when I actually get worried and anxious, I'm a, I pace back and forth. Maybe you know someone like that. I can be in my apartment and I kind of will go over to the counter and then I'll just kind of go over by the window and then I might go pick at something at my desk and then I'll go try and look at something on the TV and, and reach the nose when I'm anxious because I, I, don't, I'm, I have no direction. I'm, I'm, I'm aimless. Well, the challenge here from Paul in light of victory over death is that we can stand firm, we can be confident, we can, we can have direction and purpose, we can go above and beyond, we can always abound in our work for the Lord knowing it's not in vain. And that 
that's my encouragement to you, to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast and be hopeful. You know, it's interesting, this was written to people not who really have, that were mourning, but to people that were facing ultimately their, their death themselves. All of us must ask ourselves and must consider the fact that we will one day face death ourselves. And what I love about this truth and the fact that Jesus conquered death is the fact that, yes, we can have hope to see the ones we love, and that's, and that's amazing, but ultimately, we do not need to fear death ourselves. I love the hymn that says it this way, no guilt in life and no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to my uh, final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. I love this. While we live, there's no guilt. And as we face death, there is no fear. See, Jesus was victorious over the rulers and authorities that like to bring condemnation and guilt and accusation and temptation towards us. But we have victory over that. There's no guilt in life. And as we look forward to an eventual, everyone must face death unless Jesus comes back, we do not need to fear. See, my question for you today as I bring this to a close is are you living in the victory of what's been won for you? And thankfully, this is not of your own doing, but the work of Christ. You've been saved. (laughs) You've been saved by grace through faith. The victory of the cross allows us to live free, allows us to live victorious. And so today I have to ask you, are you walking around as someone that's living in victory? We have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. And we thank our great God for what he accomplished in sending his son Jesus on the cross to die for us. And so wherever you're at today, I hope you're encouraged. There is no guilt in life. And there is no fear in death. God is with us and he has won the victory uh, through Jesus on the cross. And so church, I hope you're blessed today. I love you. And uh, I guess I'll see you in a couple weeks when I return from my parental leave. And I'm sure we'll be by every now and then on on a few Sundays. We love you and we'll see you again soon. Bye now.